Alrighty, so we're going to be in Romans chapter 4, looking at verses number 1 through 12. And I think we, we need to keep some things in mind as we begin to move forward in chapter number 4. As we look at lo- looked at last week, um, the end of Romans chapter number 3, and one of the big main things that Paul was trying to establish is that we are made just and we are justified by our, by our faith alone. And some particular verses that I wanted to point out were verses number 23 and 24. And it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, um, again, Paul or yeah, Paul making the, the statement and the point to say um, it's only by the gift of, of God through Christ Jesus that we're saved. And also verse number 28 And that says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so I was reading also some of the commentaries about chapter 4, and they were stating that chapter 4, especially this beginning portion, is pointing back to the argument that he stated in verse number 31. And verse number 31 says, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So Paul in chapter number three was expounding upon the idea that, you know, we're justified by faith, right? The law is no longer required for us to be saved. Um, and he, he gets towards the end of chapter number three, and he's probably thinking of the Jews that are saying, so then why have it? Or maybe in some of the Gentiles, then why is the law there? Is the law now void because of what Christ has done? And Paul's saying, by no means. And he wants to continue that thought even as he continues in chapter number four. So we'll read, and then we'll jump back and, and um, break it down verse by verse as we usually do. He says in verse number 1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to, be, to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who, who works, his wages are counted, counted as a gift, but as his, or sorry, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Verse number 9 says, In his blessing then only for the circumcised is his blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after? He had been circumcised. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham Abraham had before he was circumcised. Alrighty. 
So we'll go back in verse number one, as we usually do, and, and walk through it. And we're keeping in mind that he just asked the question and just made the statement that is the law void because what Christ has done? And so what do we see in verse 1? You're good. Take your time. I see some of the main ideas. And this uh, was brought up in our Sunday school class because y'all are in Ephesians as well, aren't you? Yes. Kind of the same one, you know, about works. Mm-hmm. Uh, works under Paul ended up being more of this was our discussion, at least. I don't know how true it is, but it works under Paul was more of the law. Right. Because everybody says, you know, well, James says. Faith without works is dead, but he then says, of course, you got to have, you know, justified by our faith, but through faith we'll have works. Mm-hmm. But in the NIV version we were talking about earlier, in James's book, it says deeds. When you go back to Paul's books, it says works everywhere. So Interesting. You know, so like a, di- a distinction. Is it different? You know, James is not talking to, he's not talking to mostly Jewish crowds, but I think he is talking more like deeds and uh you know, and here in the context, we're still talking about Jewish law. Mm-hmm. That's who he's talking to. Because that's what we were trying to, you know, in, in our short time, we were trying to figure out. Like, I thought of it that way, but it makes sense. And didn't look into it, but, uh, you know, that's what I'm trying to figure out where he came from the last chapter on this one. Yeah, so a lot of what chapter three is, is like condemnation by the law, mm-hmm. and about how, like, especially towards the beginning of chapter 3, he begins talking to um, some of the people, or, or in the sea. He's talking about how the law has condemned us, and in verses number, as we looked at verses number 9 through 18, we saw that the um, sin has completely corrupted us. And he was talking about how our whole bodies, you know, using the Psalms to explain how we've been so corrupted. And then he says in verse number 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And I feel like a lot of what chapter 3 was talking about, especially towards the end, is that the law is important because the law brings you the knowledge of sin, and without the knowledge of sin, you don't have the knowledge and your need for a, of your need of a Savior. The moral compass. Right. And I think, you know, and then we get the famous verse, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the law, yes, condemns us all, and it shows us we've all fallen short, and none of us can achieve God's righteousness, no matter what we do, no matter if we're circumcised or no matter if we're uncircumcised, no matter if we know the law, no matter if we, or no matter if we follow the law, or no matter if we don't follow the law, we all fall short. And then he kind of closes in verses number 27 through um, 31 um, talking about the true you know circumcision again and, and the true um, uncircumcised um, you know he says in 29 or is God the God of Jews only is he not the God of Gentiles also yes of the Gentiles also since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith 
And then we saw with verse 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So I think like one of the main you know questions is we, we, we can ask ourselves, especially before as we go into here, is like, what's the purpose of the law? Because we even look at Abraham's life as all of the beginning chapter 4 talks about Abraham. Abraham didn't even have the law. God didn't give the law until Moses. So what's the purpose of the law? Yeah. So yeah, like that's that's the whole thing that you know Paul's trying to expound upon in the beginning of chapter four is that yes, you know Father Abraham, right? I mean, he is our father. He's the forefather. He's the beginning, the one that instilled it. But God didn't didn't give him the law. God gave Moses the law. But God said that Abraham is righteous, but he didn't have the law. God even called Abraham righteous before he was circumcised. And that's what Paul kind of closes with in verse, in, at the end of chapter 4. And to me, as a Jew, I would feel like that would be the biggest slap in the face to say that my father, the one that instilled all of this, you said that he was, uh, he was righteous before he was circumcised. So that's so you're telling me that the uncircumcised can be righteous before God. But all these Jews say and they believe that righteousness comes through circumcision. And so I can only imagine the the Jews that say are hearing Paul's words and he's showing them scriptural basises from behind all of this and their whole world is just being unraveled and Paul's like understand this and realize what the scriptures are saying. So I like where he begins in verse number 1 of chapter 4 as he says, um, so what shall we then say was gained by Abraham, right? So he's going to the, so- he's going to the source of who the, who the Jewish people are. The beginning, right? So in the beginning of Father Abraham, he says, our forefather according to the flesh, so what does he gain, right? All of us that are physically connected to Abraham by circumcision, right? This physical lineage, all right, verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, if he has something to boast about. All right, so it's like, let's think about it. Let's go back. You know, he's used a lot of hypotheticals within the first few chapters of Romans. If Abraham can be justified by his works, then he has a reason to boast. But he talks about back here in verse number 27 of chapter 3. He says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By law of works? He asks the question. He says, No, but by the law of faith. Um, that we see in, in God's eyes, verse, no, or the, verse number 2 brings us back to verse 23 in chapter 3. That he says, For all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he says, But not before God. In man's eyes, man feels like he can boast to other men because he's following a right moral code. But to God, we've all fallen short of who God is. He says in verse 21 of chapter 3, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Right? That apart from the law, separate from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed to us. Anything else? So to me, I feel like verses number one and two just are just a huge call out to the Jewish people. They're like, all right, let's let's consider Abraham. 
And they're like, what are you about to say about Abraham? Um, Abraham was, I was reading in one of the commentaries, you know, we we respect, you know, George Washington. You know, him. he's a pretty solid dude. Like, you know, thankful to him. He's our first president. Like, he helped, you know, instill America, you know, after the Revolutionary War and all that good stuff. It's like, okay, cool. But, like, Abraham was pretty esteemed to the Jewish people. Like, Abraham was the guy that initiated everything. So he's like, you know, Paul's like, all right, let's consider our forefather. Let's consider all of our father, Abraham. So he says, verse 3, what does the Scripture say? The Scripture says in Genesis chapter number 15, verse number 6, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And I love what Paul does. He kind of mimics the way that you know pastors preach now, that pastors read Scripture, and hopefully they expound upon the Scriptures and they show how the Scriptures state God's truth. And I believe that's exactly what Paul's doing. So what's the, what's the Scripture say? He takes it all the way back to Genesis 15, verse number 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what if you go back and read the beginning of chapter number 15, God comes to Abraham after he's our, or he comes to Abram in that moment. He's not even Abraham yet. And he says, Abram, you know what? I'm going to give you a son, and I'm going to make you an heir. And you're going to have um, uh, people as numerous as the stars. And he comes, to, he comes back to God and says, God, I don't even have a son. Eleazar, I believe is his name. I can't remember what, exactly what his name is. But he's like, someone that's not even my son, not even you know, someone from me, is my, um, one of my kindred. He's going to inherit all the things that I have. But God's like, no, I'm, I'm going to give you a son. And I promise to make you this great nation. And then we get verse number 6 to where... Abraham believed God would give him a son. And he says, you know what, God, I believe that you'll do that. And the Lord said, boom, that's what I'm looking for, right? Your faith in me gives you righteousness. It makes you right in my eyes. Not his circumcision, not anything else. So we continue verse number 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying about James, right? That James says, all right, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, right? That Abraham, or that, you know, Paul's maybe writing here, and this is just, you know, my own thought process, and I'd like to talk about this verse. Now to the one who works, all right, the one that chooses to, to believe that he can work for maybe his salvation, it's not counted to him as a gift, but as his due. So as I read that, and as I try to understand what Paul's even in, in trying to say, that we work out of due, right? Whenever I, when I go to my job, when I go to Southwire, I work because they're paying me to do so, right? That's my due to them. So I feel like as we work, as we look at what James says, right, you do your deeds, you do your works out of your faith in the Lord and out of your love for the Lord also, that that almost works it out. What do y'all think about verse 4? It's an interesting thing to me. Somebody who's working the law, yeah. they expect to be led into heaven with God. Right. And as 
too. But uh, of course, verse five will clarify it too. Mm-hmm. And that's how I took verse four. So. And I think that I was reading a commentary too, and that was another way to look at it. That that they were saying that the Jews believed that. You know, if they do follow all this law, it's expected from God that God says, okay, I'll give you heaven, but that's not how it works, right? It's not a gift at that point. You know, you 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 tried to work for it, but we know that God says, for none is righteous, no, not one, that for all have fallen short of the glory of God, that we can't work to get it, and our due will never be paid, right? Our wages can, you know, it, it can never be paid off, Right? And he continues in verse 5, And to the one who does not work, so the complete opposite of the one, of the guy in verse number 4, but he believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So I feel like we get the two people again. We get the Jew, the one who believes that he can work for salvation, and hopefully he feels like God seems like, okay, you know what, you did it. I'll give you what you deserve, you, you're due. But then we get the Gentile, even... You know, Abraham, right? Abraham wasn't following the law because he wasn't even provided the law. But he was like the uncircumcised. He was like the one who was not working. Um, but but what did he do, right? He says in verse 5, But he believed in the one who justifies the ungodly. So back in chapter number 2, we figure out, or Paul tells us in verse number 26, lost it now no 326 sorry I read it wrong in verse 26 chapter 3 it says it was to show his righteousness that is God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and or he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus so I see in verse number 5 as we read here tonight that God is this one right he is him who justifies the ungodly, that only God can do such a thing. Even Paul states it in a past chapter. And the fate of this man that is not working and does not do the works of the law, his faith in God is counted to him as righteousness. And I think that's just so beautiful. And I like how he uses the word ungodly, right? I think of, you know, you say like, man, that's ungodly, right? That's you know, complete opposite of who the Lord is and who God is. He's not godly. He's not like God. <clears throat> and that's every man. So I, when I hear the word ungodly, I'm thinking of the worst of the worst, not the, the one that might be living a little bit. But we see that Paul's saying for the God that's as worse as you can be, if he has faith in the Lord, is counted to him as righteousness, and he is right in the Lord's eyes. What else? What I think about Abraham is interesting about Abraham is in verse 15 or in chapter 15 of Genesis, he gets the promise of a son. And then immediately following in chapter 16, he um, he has um, uh, a child with Hagar. And he just goes back on the faith that he has in the Lord. And he, and he has Ishmael, right? And, and God's like, dude, I, I promise you a son. And why didn't you believe me? The scripture says in Genesis, actually, that it says that he followed the voice of Sarah. 
He didn't follow the voice of the Lord, but he followed the voice of Sarah. And Sarah said, we can't, let's not wait any longer. We gotta, we've got this handmaid in Hagar, and you can have a child with her. The Lord told you that, you know, your son, yeah, you can have a son, right? Here, here's your son, and he'll become this great nation. But we're old. Yeah, she's like, but we're too old, right? But, I, I mean, I just think about who, who um, Abraham is. Like, Abraham failed many times. I mean, even in the very beginning, um, you know, the Lord asked him to leave all of his kindred in chapter number 13, I believe, and he's, he, he brings Lot. He brings his nephew. And then he continues going on, and he, he goes into Egypt, and he's like, he tells Sarah, it's like, all right, let's tell the Pharaoh that you're my sister so that he, he won't kill me because he'll think that you're so beautiful and he might want to marry you. But, like, if he understands that I'm your husband, he might kill me because of that. So, like, let's say that you're my sister. That way we'll be good to go. And then we get the, the story with him and Hagar, right? He, he um, has a child with him and doesn't wait for the promises of the Lord. But the Jewish people view him so highly, right, that he's still viewed as his forefather. And even the Lord still views, his, views him as righteous because he still continues to have faith in God. Even though he fails, God still sees him as right because of his faith in him as he repents and he comes back to the Lord. That that interests me. Anything else? Was that one of the Bible trivia questions? What's that? That conclusion like. Who was Abraham's second wife or something like that? Yeah, it was something. It was like. I forgot. Start with something with a K. I can't remember what the name was. I, d- I didn't know that one. I'd never heard that. I'd have to go back and find it. Like Bible trivia because it's like, man, I never knew it. Yeah. <laughs> Mac would probably know. He probably would. Actually, the guy, one of the guys that got third, I think, I went to Vermont with, and he went to Tech, and he said he got that question right. I was like, of course you did. <laughs> but uh, I also, I like beginning of chapter four, too. Um, that Paul is reminding us again that it's not, you know, we got Old Testament and New Testament. And also what Testament means is this covenant. You got the Old Covenant and you got the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was what God made with Abraham, right? That um, this, this old thing that the law is, is there and the law is, is there to reveal your sin. And then with this, old, with this New Covenant, right, Christ came to the, the disciples in the upper room. And he says, this is the New Covenant that I make with you, right? Take of this... Um, Take of the bread, right? Break it. Eat it. This is my body that's sacrificed for you. Take of the wine, right? Drink it. This is my blood that is poured out for you. That we get the two different sides of the story. That Old Testament over here, Paul's telling us that the way Abraham was saved, the way Abraham was made righteous in God's eyes is that he had faith in who God is. Then we get you know, past that into the New Testament. We believe, right, if we have faith... In Jesus Christ, God will make us right. God will make us right in his eyes, righteous, right? So in both instances, we all look to who Christ is, and we all look to God to have faith in for justification and for righteousness. But we get another we get benefits as a new covenant, New Testament believer. In the old testament, what was so interesting is that God's spirit was confined to the temple. And confined to the holiest of holies in man's sense, 
you know, I believe, you know, God's Spirit is all over the world. I believe in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But to where the people communed with God and where people believed that God's presence was, was in the holiest of holies. But, you know, after that, after Christ's death, I can't remember what gospel account that it is. It might be Matthew or Luke. We learn that the veil was broken. It was torn from top to bottom. And now the Spirit of the Lord was released. And Hebrews begins to tell us about how we're the new temple. And that where Christ or where God's Spirit indwelled the temple, as you read in Exodus and as you read in Numbers, um, that you get that account, that now Christ, Christ's Spirit, God's Spirit indwells us. And we have become the new temple. We're like many portable temples that we, you know, we go throughout this world. And um, what a new benefit that we get to have, that we have the Spirit inside of us. Um, I thought that was just something interesting, too, that just came to mind. Anything else? So as I was studying, I, I, I just thought it was so interesting that he brought up David. So he says in verse 6, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So he's been going on this huge spill of Abraham. But then he's like, all right, well, let's talk about David. Right? So what, why do you think he brought up David? Oh, yeah. Definitely, right? David was a mighty, respected king. He was God's first chosen king right that Israel chose Saul but God chose David right so yes we see another well respected man of Jewish culture but what else about David okay his faith okay killed Goliath so he's respected also in that sense, right? That he also had faith in the Lord just like Abraham. And he had enough faith to go fight a giant, right? He had no faith to throw a rock at the at the giant and it, you know, the Lord through his power, you know, destroyed him. What was his downfall? What 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 is he also known for? Didn't he get somebody killed and take the wife? He did. Oh, he liked women at the end. He totally, totally ultimately dramatically messed up he had an affair with um, Bathsheba he said oh crap I gotta kill Uriah now to hide this you know to hide this he even tried to get Uriah to come back and, and to sleep with Bathsheba so that if she, you know when she comes with child that maybe Uriah will think that it's his but then yes he goes to the extent of killing him so we get two men Reference in just verses number one through eight that had faith in the Lord and God viewed even as you know scripture tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. Right? These two well respected men, but they failed dramatically in the things that they did. You know, we look, already looked at what Abraham did, right? He had um, sex with uh, Hagar and he, and he went out of faith of the Lord. We see David went out of faith of the Lord. But they view them so highly. But they didn't follow the law. I can defend Abraham as black told <laughs> Right? Right. Abraham, he just listened to Sarah, right? But, you know, out of David, right? He's doing it out of his own lust, of his own heart. Yeah, who 
who was who was the king before David? Was it Saul? It was Saul. Now he had a similar. I'm drawing a blank. I have to go back and read it. It was like two in a row had a similar downfall. They were hmm. faithful, and then they just started doing what they wanted. They so many kings that way. Living in the ways of the world is what I always came back to. You know. Yeah, you read through. You read through Kings, and Kings tells you about every king that ever, you know, through, through up, all the way up to the Babylonian, first Babylonian captivity. And I think, so Solomon came along after David, and Solomon was good. Actually, actually Solomon's actually, that's, that's actually who I'm thinking about. Because yeah. he was after David. Right. And same type thing. He came on faithful, faithful, mm-hmm. faithful, but he had his own downfall. And God viewed him so highly that God allowed him to build the temple. But, you know, so much came after. He had so much wisdom and so much knowledge and so much understanding. He had so much riches. He had all the women in the world. And, I mean, I think the Scripture tells us, I mean, he had like over a 1,000 or maybe over like 700 to a 1,000 wives. Mm-hmm. And you read through Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is um, uh, thought to be Solomon's writing. And he just talks about how much vanity there is in the world. That hey, he tried to chase after wisdom and it didn't give him satisfaction. He tried to chase after lust and after women and it didn't give him satisfaction. He tried to chase after building things and it didn't didn't give him satisfaction. But you read First and Kings and you read you know after Solomon, the kingdom was split because of how you know what he had done. And God said you know he he split the kingdom up. He left um, the kingdom of Judah in David's lineage, but he gave up the rest of Israel to another king. And you, we learned that there was no good king after that point, that they were all pretty pretty bad. Actually, all the kings of, um, all the kings of uh, Israel, Scripture tells us that they did what was right in their own eyes. And then there was only like seven kings. I'd have to go back and make sure that's the right number, but there was only seven kings that Scripture tells us that they, were, they followed after God. But many of them also failed at the end of their life. But like you said, right, there's so many times that you look at these revered people in Scripture and even revered people in Jewish culture that they they messed up. They broke the law. But yet they still, you know, Jewish people in this day still believe that they can hold the law. But yet these renowned men cannot. And so one thing I, I do love about, as we begin to mention David, David of anyone knows what it feels like to feel God's redemption and feel God's, um, you know, to be separated from the Lord because due to sin, but be brought back so closely. And he writes, this is Psalms 32, verses number 1 and 2, as we see in verse number 7. He says, Blessed are those who are, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And I love, I mean, that's just, that's beautiful. I looked up what the word blessed means, and it means to make or to be made holy. And I look at what he says, blessed are those whose lawless, right, against everything that the God has said that is right. They don't deserve forgiveness. Whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, that they're paid for. And we see in verse number 25, as he says in chapter number 3, that Christ was our propitiation, that he was our atonement, he was our debt. He paid for our sin. And, and David said the man that, that um, 
is made right in God's eyes and is justified, blessed is that man. And he says in verse 8, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That we see the Lord has cast it away. So verses number 1 through 8, I see Abraham's justification. That Abraham was not justified by works. He was justified by faith. So he continues to expound upon that in verses number 9 through 12. He says, Is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? So back to verses or chapter number 2 in Romans, verse number 11. He says, For God shows no what? Favoritism. No partiality, right? God shows no distinction between Jew and between Gentile. So brought all the way back to one of his main points, right? He says, For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So he's like, all right, let's remember the statement that we just made and that I just proved by Scripture. Genesis, Moses wrote in Genesis that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. So that's a fact, right? If you're a Jew and you say that the Torah is God's word, you pronounce that those words are fact, right? So he says, fact. If, you know, if you've ever watched The Office, right? That, um, uh, what does Jim say to Dwight? You know, bears eat beets, right? So, right, it's fact. Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. So he begins to ask two questions. And as we read these questions, I want you to imagine yourself as a Jew. And I want you to see if you can hear their answer to these. And we'll, we'll even say it. So he says, all right, fact, right? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10. How then was it counted to him? They're like, faith. Right? And he says, continuing, was it before or was it after he was circumcised? And they're like, before, right? They, I mean, he's, he's destroying everything, right? How was it counted to him, Jews? By his faith, right? Faith made him righteous, is what Paul says. And he says, okay, was it before he was circumcised or was it after he was circumcised? And we're like, it was before, Paul. It was before he was circumcised. And he answers it. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. So we see in Genesis chapter number 17... Paul came, or uh, Paul, God came to Abraham and he said, All right, I'll give you circumcision. And circumcision is going to help you distinguish between your people, your people. And between chapter number 15 and chapter number 17, there's a 14 year gap. So think about that. 14 years between when God said that it was counted to Abraham as righteousness due to his faith. 14 years happen, and then he gives him circumcision. Circumcision, you know, it's just taken out of the equation at that point. God, Abraham's faith is due to no kind of circumcision. And that's what it, I think, I believe that's the point he's trying to get to at the end of chapter um, number, or in the verse number 10. So he says in verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he still uh, while he was still uncircumcised. And I feel like the greatest example and the greatest analogy that we can see today 
within our culture is baptism. Baptism is the perfect parallel for what circumcision is. That baptism is not what saves you. But, you know, it's a beautiful thing when we see Pastor Stephen get to, to baptize a new believer, right? That this believer is professing to the entire church, to the congregation, that they have made the step to follow after Christ and that Christ has made them righteous. Baptism is just a ritual, right? It's just a thing that we do to show these things, right? Circumcision was the exact, exact same thing. It was just a ritual, it was just to show what God has done for us, right? To be an outward expression of God, what God has done inside. Anything else about that? I like how he says, the seal of righteousness that he made by faith, that the acting agent was by faith. Um, believe so oh yeah I'm pretty sure I think 17 talks about all that and that'd be interesting you know what if he did it right let's I mean I don't we don't know I'd have to go back and read in scripture but like, let's say he did it even if I mean scripture might say he did but let's say he started it with Isaac or you know he like you know like Let's say, I mean, Abraham might not even ever have been circumcised, and he was still righteous in the Lord's eyes. <laughs> and he was given circumcision. He said, okay, I'll start this with Isaac. And now Isaac comes along, and, you know, he's just the first man that's ever circumcised. But Abraham, you know, I feel like it's, a, it's still a good point that Abraham's righteousness is in his uncircumcision. And I feel like that's a big slap in the face for these Jewish people. Because he's saying, and, and what we'll get into as we continue to read verse number 11, well, let's just jump into it, right? So he says the purpose, right? Why? Right? Why, why did God have it this way? Why did he set it up that he made Abraham righteous in his uncircumcision? He says the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteous would, righteousness would be counted them as well. He's like, Abraham, if you look at it and you really pay attention, Abraham isn't just the father of the circumcised, but he's also the father of the who? The uncircumcised who have faith in God. And I feel like the Jews are like, how can you do this? You're, tell, you're basically telling me that the Gentiles can say Abraham is their father. Blasphemy. That's blasphemy. Right. And so I was reading a commentary and it was saying that converted Gentiles... The Jews would tell the converted Gentiles that they could not say that Abraham was their father. Only the Jews can say that Abraham is their father. So they would make the Gentiles say, Abraham is your father. Right? Your father, Abraham. You know, help me. But what Paul is saying here is the Gentiles can say that, they, that Abraham is their father. Right? He's not just the Jews' father. He's the Gentile's father. He's the uncircumcised father that has faith in God. Because why? Because God said that he was righteousness in his uncircumcision. Circumcision has no merit with, with righteousness. Mm. 
And I feel like, you know, as this message and as this letter was pro- was written to both the Jew and to Gentiles, you know, on one side the Jews were like, oh, man. You know, uh, I think T- Katie last week was saying, um, you know, w- w- wouldn't the Jews be pretty upset, be pretty upset with what Paul's saying? And I would believe, you know, there are some Jews that are probably listening to pa- what Paul's saying and they're furious. But I believe there's also some Jews that are sitting there saying, you know what, he's right. right? He's right. You know, we shouldn't act like, act like this, right? We should, you know, maybe these Jews are that are kind of taken to what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And they're like, you know what? Paul, you're right. You know, I'm going to change my life to this. And I feel like Christians are like that also, also today. You know, there's some Christians that are like, you know, it's one way that the pastor preaches what the word says. He's like, I'm not doing that, right? Even though the word is telling you the truth, you're saying, no, I'm not doing that, right? But there's Christians out there that, that hear the truth of the Lord, Word of God and they change their life because of it. But then you get the Gentile also as one of the, the readers of this letter. And what a glorious thing to say. I mean, I mean, let's take it, think in physical terms. I mean, they don't have to get circumcised, right? I mean, these Jews are running around saying, you can't be righteous before God unless you're circumcised. And to me as a Gentile, I'd be like, man, I ain't doing that. That is not me, man. That is above me. That is beyond me. I'm not, I will not do that, right? And Paul, you know, a glorious thing to, for that in a physical and, and sense, but also in a spiritual sense that they can claim Abraham as the father. And uh, at the end of chapter number three, he begins to talk about um, the true circumcision, right? As he even said in uh, chapter number two also, um, but that the truly the uncircumcised people is the one that have faith in God. So he continues in verse 12. And to make him the father, so um, Abraham, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who were not merely circumcised, but also who walk, or also walk in the footsteps of the faith that their father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he says, our father Abraham, the one that was given the covenant, the one that initiated all of this. God gave him faith and God gave him righteousness due to his faith before he was circumcised. Uh, yeah, before he was circumcised. So what that means is Abraham's their father. Abraham is the unright, uncircumcised man's father that has faith in the Lord. Not only that. Abraham is also the father of the ones that are circumcised, but not only are they circumcised, he says not merely, merely means just only, not only are they only circumcised, but they also walk in the footsteps of the faith that their father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It all comes back to the faith. And I feel like, as I was just mentioning, those Jewish people, the Jewish people that believe that all they need is circumcision. That they, all they need is the law. And I wish I could, um, it's coming back to my head, but I can't remember the exact verse. Um, I think it's at the end of chapter number three, where he's talking about um, you can't just you can't just hear the law, but you also have to do the law. Um, I'm going to forget it. Anyways, 
I'll go back to Deuteronomy 6, chapter number 6, verse number 4. And uh, 4 through 6 is called the Shema. And the word Shema means, I've mentioned it many times, and I've, you know, if you ever want to look up a good video, um, there's a video, uh, there's a YouTube channel called The Bible Project. They make a, they have a series called the Shema, beautiful series, and uh, it really shows you some good things. But it's a command that, uh, that Moses has given to the people of Israel from God. And the word Shema is, a, is the Hebrew word for hear. Not only does it mean hear, but it means to hear and to do. Um, so I see that within the end of verse number, or in verse number 12, that the truly saved person, the truly child of Abraham, is one that doesn't just hear the law. Right? When I hear the law, the law tells me I need to follow it, and the law tells me I need to be circumcised, number one. right? But the law also says I need to have faith in God. I need to do what the law has asked me to do. I need to do what Abraham did. I need to walk in his footsteps, and his footsteps was to have faith in God. That in both instances, no matter where you fall, you've got to have faith in the Lord. So we see, I think I see in verse number nine, 1 through 8, we see Abraham's justification. And then verses number 9 through 12, we see Abraham's people. That truly the people of Abraham are the ones that have faith in him. So what does this mean for the Roman people? Christ coming for the first time in a long time. Mm -hmm. They feel welcomed. Yeah. The other battle is Greek gods. Yeah. Oof. Um, but yeah, these that, you know, like Timothy, you know, had a what, Jewish mother, Greek father. You know, he's heard his whole life that his mother's righteous, his father's not. Mm. He's like, but, you know, I love both. They both do good things in Christ's name, or now in Christ's name, in God's name. And, you know, now, of course, he's probably hanging his head because he's like, he had to but, uh, <laughs> yeah, for real. But then he's like, all right, well, now, you know, I need to spread this message. All of us that were kind of in limbo, we don't like the Greek gods. We were shunned by the Jewish community. You know, we now have somewhere to go. We can yeah. now be accepted, you know, by Christ, by God. So it's got to be, uh, of course, that's what made the Jews unhappy, obviously, because mm -hmm. it is that elite society that, you know, stemming from the Sanhedrin looking for power, the, you know, Sadducees, Pharisees, that they were all after power and using the law against the people. And even though they were breaking the law, you know, yeah. using it for their power. And, and then that's where I think a lot that are tied into that system are they're fearful because they know they're going to lose power. Mm. And, you know, if enough people believe, you know, all of their power is gone because all the power comes through Christ and not what they, they're saying. Yeah. I think that's interesting times in the, you know, when Paul's writing this. Mm -hmm. That's why I got beat a lot in Acts, uh, logged and thrown out of cities because they didn't want, they were, like you said, they were furious, yelling, screaming, you know, dragging him out of places. Blasphemy, I mean, straight up blasphemy. Yeah, they were saying he was blaspheming God, and, and he wasn't. He was, you know, telling them the truth, and then, like you said, I want to believe, and, and it did happen in Acts because early on, Acts tells you how many believed in each town that I think he converted a lot of the Jews that were kind of yeah, like you know, on the fit, yeah. let me go back to my Bible Abraham well, he never had the law you know yeah. but God said you're righteous because you believed and uh, you know that's the, the key to it but 
interesting things. And I think, you know, fast forward to today, I think, you know, the world views Christians as holier than thou. Mm. We're like the modern day Jew in a way. Exactly. And that's why, you know, I ask a lot of people, you know, why don't you go to church? Why don't you come with us? He's like, no, y'all think you're better than, you know, like, well, Maybe some people do, but... Uh, I'll be the first day, yeah. I'll be the first day. Let's go back to Romans 3, 23. Yeah. You know, we all fall short. You know, we all sin. And, uh, you know, pick anybody in the Old Testament, New Testament. They've mm. got their faults. Yeah. God still loves them. And, you know, that's the thing. God's grace is everlasting. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't give you free right to... Do whatever you want. And he gets into that. Right? You know, should we fine. should we sin all the more that grace may abound? By no means. But it's uh, it is it's relevant today because that's you know we're seeing that divide the last 50, 60 years you know with technology you know because what used to happen in across the world whether it's Catholic Christian uh, well I guess they're both Christian but Catholics uh, any denominations. You know, you basically drug your kids to church. That's all you, you know, you had a small church in downtown and you mm-hmm. walked, drove a little ways, but everybody went. And with technology, people are staying home. They've got other things, excuses to do. And, and then it comes down to, you know, you know, Joel thinks he's better than me because he goes to church. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I don't want to be like that guy. You know, it's, you know, that's the message that's out there. And, you know, it's our job to try to, convince people otherwise yeah and find out how to do that because that's the tough one there's no uh, no doubt church attendance has dropped dramatically in the last you know 20 30 years especially but it's easy you just have faith man come on i know right yeah i completely agree with that i mean just such a glorious news for these gentile people mm-hmm. i mean that they they get to be a part of the club now to where they were separated before, Paul's like, you're in, right? He's going to talk about later on, um, I believe it's in chapter number 11 or 10 or so, he's talking about how they've been grafted in now. You know, you weren't a part of the tree in the beginning, but God said, hey, like, you you can be grafted into here and and you're brought in uh, to the family through Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you you were talking about, you know, fast forward into it today, I, I believe that a lot of Christians are the modern day Pharisees and modern day Sadducees and modern day Judaizers that they say, you know, you don't go to church and you don't read the Bible and, you know, even to Christians, right? That, um, you know, you saw the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees condemning other Jews, you know, for the things that they didn't do, you know, based on the law. And I feel like a lot of, you know, from me reading through Romans, just thinking about like what's my modern law like obviously I don't believe that I need to follow the sacrifices and um, you know I believe I mean the Ten Commandments are still you know relevant I would say but like a lot of the rituals and a lot of the other things that the Jewish people had to follow I I, I don't recognize those but what are some things that I do recognize that I feel like you know people impose and I feel like that is reading your Bible and reading and doing prayer not that they're wrong but they're, they don't qualify me for salvation you know, my church attendance doesn't give me the right, give me the due to say it, walk up to God and be like, here's my certificate of, or here's my letter, right? Here's my letter from Tabernacle Baptist Church. Here, let me in. All right, so. One thing I always look at nowadays is the, 
you know, about history, the theology, but the Catholic Church, their rituals are amazing. If you ever go to a Catholic service, whether it's a you know, mass, funeral, or anything, you go out, everybody there that's Catholic knows what's going on. You know, if it's you know, if it's communion, you know, they've they've got the special uh, what do they call their chalice that they I mean, the whole the whole thing is ritual. Mm -hmm. They know the history behind it. That's um, you know, the, and that part we agree with, obviously. But um, it's just amazing because then, like you said, our only ritual is really you know, public confession of faith and dunking in the tank up there. And, yeah. You know, we do communion, but it's the uh, you know, pass out the little cups, and you know they do it like one by one. Uh, you know, it's a little weird because the one I went to, the at the end, the the elders or the deacons, whatever they call them, they like chug the wine. <laughs> uh, they all drink out of it the same one, but it's you know that was you know in their in their defense, you know that ritual, they were truly you know, truly saying it's the blood of Christ and you know, the body of Christ, and um, but it's just a uh, you know that's where I see is the progression of all religions now. We're losing a lot of the rituals, mm. and, you know, because we kind of frown upon you know Catholics for a lot of their beliefs but at the same time 90% of what they do we agree with and, yeah uh, you know we we should do better you know in each of the phases of life you know you know kind of getting to that certain training in a way if you will a certain knowledge because you know my Catholic friends when we were growing up I didn't know anything about the Bible you know but they could memorize whole books you know almost or whole chapters almost yeah just crazy but I mean it, it is so interesting I I read a book one time uh, called uh, Seeking All of Finding Jesus, and he was talking about the de the devotion of... Um, it was a Muslim that had turned to Christianity, and he was talking about the devotion of some of the Muslim men that they I mean they would have everything memorized. And then here I am. I believe that this is what, you know, what is right, and I hardly have John 3.16 memorized, right? Like, there's people out there that have... You know, just all these other oracles of other religions just memorize them like the back of their hand, and they knew. They know it. Like, was it Muslims? Every three hours, they stop everything. And yeah, pray. and pray. Like, like, even at work, it's it's allowed. You know, your bosses, if they're Muslim, they, you just stop, you have your mat, you roll it out, and you pray to God right there. You know, we're pushing it. We disagree on a lot of stuff, but you got to look like I might say a quick prayer in the morning. And then if I'm in danger, I say one during the day. Yeah. And then at night, and, uh, you know, it's kind of, sometimes I mean, it's, it's thought out a lot more. Um, now that I've had kids, I do that more intentional than I used to, just uh, to try to be a good example. But I mean, I just look at the, where I'm lacking, where, you know, they do so yeah. much good. And uh, and I think that's where, you know, these, this chapter is kind of trying to blend it all together. Like, all right, now we've got a new goal, you know, this mm -hmm. new covenant, and mm -hmm. that's, Let's all realize we're all brothers and sisters there. You know, there's nothing dividing us now. It's, uh, you know, you have faith in, in God and Christ and believe that Christ came, then you will be saved. Amen. It's simple as that. And simple as that, but harder. Yeah. I agree. But I will say one thing. We were talking about, you know, bad image. This few weeks ago, we had a lady that worked with us. She left us to work for a Christian organization. I used the because I won't tell you what it is. Well, 
she called a few weeks ago and said that the guy in charge, who's a well-respected person, is just awful. And I kind of heard stories, you know, and you know that's what I started thinking. She wants to come back and work with us because it's not what she thought. She, you know, she left us working for a Christian organization. Um, but you know, I started thinking. I'm like, I wonder, you know, the people that work with us. I hope they never say the things that I hear about, like this guy that you know goes to this church, but he's awful during the day, you know, to his employees and this thing yeah. and the other. And I'm just thinking, you know, all during the day, I'm like, all right, if I get frustrated with something, just calm down, you know, let's find a way to find a solution in a you know, peaceful way where nobody's, you know, I'm not impacting anybody in a negative way. And I don't think I have, but it did make me think, you know, right. have I ever done Still acknowledge it, yeah. Make somebody in our office, you know, upset, frustrated, because, um, you know, just the stuff she had said, you know, again, from a well-respected Christian in town, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of eye-popping, and uh, again, it's multiple stories I've heard, but makes me think, you know, I will produce that image. That, yeah. uh, I don't want this Jewish image like here that, all right, you Gentiles are just, you know, you're down here, I'm way up here. I just want, you know, that whole, whole family image. That we're all in this together. Yeah, definitely. Well, anything else before we try to close? I feel like for us as we apply it today and as we walk out these doors, we um we can think about like who can we tell this to, right? Who is the audience that we can you know, so I was at I was at, you know, Sunday school, or uh, Wednesday night this week learned about Romans four, one through eight, twelve. I think the audience of the people that we can tell this to is literally anyone, right? That for the Christian, we need to understand that we're not any better than the Gentile. That we're not any better than the pagan. We're not any better of the man that's not in, in church. That we're sinful just like him. And for the man that is sinful, as you were saying earlier, right? They look at church and say, well, I'm not good enough to be walking in the church, right? I'd be surprised if the church burned down if I walk in there. That's what happened. It's like, no, like... What already happened? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, you're, you're welcome. And, and you're loved and, and the Lord you know there is a blessed is the man against who the Lord will not count as sin that there is a day where the Lord um, or the Lord can you know wipe away your sin so if there's not anything else I can pray for us that we can be on our way I do defy God um, I love you so much and I thank you so much for allowing us to come here tonight God and read through another chapter of your of the book of Romans God, as it is a, a deep and, and uh, a great book, God, as Martin Luther read the book of Romans, and, and, and that's what uh, caused him to write his 99 thesis, God, I pray that you would allow uh, this book to change our view on things, God, as we even acknowledge that modern-day Christians can even act like these, um, these Jews in, in Romans, Lord. I pray that us in this room and the ones that have also been a part of this study are, have the, the knowledge and, and have the, the self-awareness to um, go about their life and, and see that they need to change it in some kind of way because they're not acting right and that we're not treating the, the ones that you love, right? The, the, ones that all the, the ones that we might call Gentile today, God, that we're not treating them the way that you would treat them. We're not loving them the way that you would love them, I pray that we would uh, daily try to do our best to invite more to you and, and to receive your grace and to receive the understanding of the knowledge of sin so that they may also 
receive the knowledge and their need for a Savior. I thank you for your son, your son Jesus, and what he's done for us. I pray that you be with us for the rest of this week. In Jesus, I do pray. Amen.